1: You heard some stuff about, you know, the autopsy results coming in from Epstein. Well, you know we're going to talk about it today here on the show. We're also going to dig into Ilhan Omar and her bestie, Rashida Tlaib. They can't go to Israel, but I can. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah. So it's on my bucket list of things to do to get to go to Israel and experience the wall and, and just everything. And every time I meet someone who's been... And recently I was talking to someone who'd been, I just, I'm, I'm fired up about going. I really want to go to Israel. So it is really interesting to me that they can't go and maybe it won't last, but right now I'm feeling a little bit, you know, I'm feeling some kind of way about it. Some kind of good way that is that they can't go. They don't deserve to get to go. Okay. I'm not going to get, we'll talk about that. Um, also gun control. Uh, Cory Booker says it will bring freedom. Now, never mind that Cory Booker is a Democrat and is therefore part of the reason why these inner city areas are in such bad shape. Um, he's still got his thing going on. Whatever that is. So we're going to talk about it. We'll actually hear audio from him and then we have other stuff. So, um, I first want to get into the encouragement for today and This is good stuff. Um, we have, so first of all, today I discovered, um, during a little bit of, you know, some, some time that I was spending with a good friend that there's actually a translation of the Bible called the Passion Translation. And we were reading Psalm 91 out of it. And it was pretty awesome. So a Psalm 91 is a standalone Psalm on its own. It's just, it's, it rocks. But, the Passion Translation, y'all have got to, you got to try it. So we will actually probably do the Passion Translation of Psalm 21 on maybe next, next Monday, uh, because I already have this week's encouragements planned out. So I don't want to change that. So we'll probably look at doing that on Monday. But I was so excited by it and invigorated by it today. So let's dig into this. It's uh, encouragement this week is on encouragement. And I love that. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. So it encourages us to consider how we can spur each other on. So it means we have to take time out of our busy schedules, put our phone down for a second and just think probably in the first thing in the morning after your devotions or during your devotions, you think. How can I encourage and spur people on today? How can I, how can I be a blessing? Right? How can I bless other people with encouragement? And it can be that through encouraging other people, you encourage yourself. That's, that's what I actually get out of doing the encouragement segment on the show. It started off because I needed encouraging and I, I just stumbled on a scripture and that scripture encouraged me so much that I wanted to share it. So I shared it and the response I got back from you was that, oh my goodness, that was so encouraging to me. And then I was like, well, we should do this all the time. Encouraging each other is what we're supposed to do. So this is a part of that. And that's just one example of how it can be done. Um, and there are many ways that you may already be encouraging people. You might already be doing it. Um, or if you aren't doing it, you could definitely think of just basically The Bible is saying, how can you encourage other people? You give some consideration to that. God will do the rest. You take one step towards him. He comes the rest of the way. You just say, how can I encourage other people? Spurring one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So sometimes things happen at church or, you know, a pastor falls in, in, in a very major way and it, it's hurtful to you, or maybe some people at the church part of the body, they've treated you badly. And then the tendency is to say, well, I just can't go to church anymore. You can, maybe it's just not that church. Um, you try to work it out, but if it can't be worked out or if it becomes too cumbersome, you know, and I know there are people who disagree with me on that and they'll say, you shouldn't ever leave your home church. That's up for debate. The point that I'm trying to make is because I don't want to get drawn into a big argument about that. I'm trying to make the point that if going to the current church is basically making you not want to go to church at all, find another church. That's why we have so many different churches. You can just find another so that you don't forsake gathering together. And then encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And this talks about the second coming of the Lord, where we are supposed to be anticipating his return and encouraging each other through the current trials and tribulations that we experience because we know that he is coming back for us. We've read the end of the book. We know how this thing all ends and that is super encouraging, but I have more. Psalm 32 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. So God will tell us and teach us whichever way we should go. So that means we should never, of course, we're humans. We'll feel confused, but that shouldn't be a state of being for us because we can always say, father, I'm confused about this. What do I do? Lord, how do I navigate this situation? They, they want an answer for me about something. What do I say? I'm, I'm on the fence here. I don't know what I should do. I need a word from you. He's ready and able and willing to provide that word and that instruction. All we have to do is ask. He says, I will counsel you with my loving eye on you, which is an indicator of his thoughts and feelings towards us not anger not oh geez here comes stacy again with a prayer about what she should do no he's lovingly watching and waiting to offer counsel to us this is i mean does you are you getting a little revved up i feel my little engine is cranking up i'm like yes i need that i need that and then lastly psalm 31 24 be strong and take heart All you who hope in the Lord, so not be strong and take heart. You know, you hardcore, you know, yoga devotees. You know, no arguing about whether or not yoga is Christian or not. I don't feel like it today. Not be strong and take heart because you're strong and you rock and you're you you are enough. That's one of the favorite slogans nowadays. Is you are enough. Well, if we were enough, why would Jesus have come? Why do we need him to die on the cross? If if I'm enough, why do I need a savior? Why do I need the Holy Spirit, the comforter? Why do I need my father in heaven if I'm enough? Every time I see that on Instagram, I'm like, so if you're enough, why are you telling everybody about it? If we were really enough, if I was really enough on my own, I would be so self self self-assured in that, so secure in that I wouldn't even need to announce it because if I was enough, you would know it, wouldn't you? You wouldn't be able to escape it. You would be unable to deny my enoughness. So clearly I'm not enough. None of us are. <laughs> That's why we need Jesus. Okay. So be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. So where are we to put our hope? In the Lord. And if we do that, we will find all of these things. They're not only true, that we are able to be blessed in and through, a bar uh, above, far, and beyond All that we dare ask or think, and it's not the material blessing that I'm speaking of. I'm talking about the spiritual blessing that comes from knowing who we belong to and how God will not only care for us, but he will take us through every situation and keep us through every situation, which is ultimately, isn't that what we're looking for? Because we have these tough things that we're going through. All of us are going through something, struggling with something, fighting over something. And we need God to not only just be in those situations, but to keep us and to help us to be strong and take heart. The, we need his assistance with all of that. So it's super encouraging. Like, I, I hope you're getting encouraged by this. That's the the point of it. I'm encouraged by it. I hope you're encouraged by it. And all of these scriptures, if you want to meditate on them or maybe print them out and stick them someplace, you know, like on the edge of your computer or something, they're on the show notes at listen.stacyontheright.com. Um And also now for people who are trying to find the show and I'm speaking mainly to people who are coming over from the old place where I used to work um, you're looking for me and god bless you for looking for me and it I was derelict in not having information for you front and center at the top of stacyontheright.com um so people have been really searching in fact one of the top search items on my blog when I go into my analytics is what happened to Stacy on the right and Afr? That is one of the top search, and so people are landing when they type that in. They land at stacyontheright.com, and instead of me having an answer for you there, I have I have a, a video that I did, but that has now gotten pushed down because I've had so many posts since the original occurrence on June 21st. So I now have all of the episodes of the show are there, and. I'm going to just update that video and pin it to the top so you can take a look at it. Um, anyone who's coming over. And if you're coming over, you know, maybe you're just getting back from vacation or work or whatever, and you're just realizing that I'm not on over there anymore. Well, God bless you. And thank you for being here. And um, the details are there on my blog. You can actually type in when bad news comes. That's the, that's the title of it. But I'm going to change it to what happened to Stacy on the right on AFR. That way people who search it will come up with that video immediately. So um, now let's get back to the show. Um, so there's a couple things. First of all, um, and I did, I did kind of go over, we, we talked in the show rundown about a couple of these things, but I want to dig into uh, what exactly is going on. So first off, there's the autopsy report from Jeffrey Epstein, his, his death. The autopsy is finished and they have the details now. And they're saying, experts are saying, now they have people going on Fox News and other outlets who are questioning how it could be ruled a suicide with the details that have been shared. Now, there's always going to be speculation, but I think it's interesting. Obviously, you got to be pretty awesome to get onto Fox News the day after the autopsy. Like, they're not just taking their third or fourth tier guest; They're getting someone they, they trust to come on. And so... They're saying the broken bones in Jeffrey Epstein's neck are common in victims of homicide by strangulation. Now, this is interesting. This is very interesting. Um, everybody has had, you know, just uh, everything's been a fire with conspiracy theories. What that's what people are calling it, but I prefer to call them questions, valid questions, because. It's not a conspiracy theory to say that a maximum security prison has certain protocols that surround a person being uh, on suicide watch. And for those protocols not to be followed, it means something is going on there. Uh, So now the autopsy, per the Washington Post, has found that Epstein sustained multiple breaks in his neck bones. And that's kind of rather interesting, is it not? Among the broken bones in Epstein's neck was the hyoid bone, which in men is near the Adam's apple. Such breaks can occur in those who hang themselves, particularly if they're older. And this is according to forensic experts and studies on the subject. But they are more common in victims of homicide by strangulation. So does this mean he was strangled? No, but the breaks in the bones in the neck are kind of a red flag for experts who are reviewing the autopsy results and saying something about this doesn't pass the smell test, not a conspiracy theory, a valid question. That's significant. So in other cases of homicide were investigations, homicide investigations, causes of death have actually been changed from suicide to homicide after an autopsy result showed a broken hyoid. In 2008, Ronnie L. White, a teenager accused of killing a police officer, died of an apparent suicide in a suburban Washington jail cell. But two days later, the cause of death was changed to homicide when a Maryland state medical examiner discovered the teen had a broken hyoid. Now, Barbara Sampson is New York City's chief medical examiner. She completed the autopsy on Sunday. She has yet to give a final ruling at the moment, the, the cause of death is listed still as pending. So she's, you know, examining. Um, according to the official story released by the authorities, Epstein's guards fell asleep while on duty and failed to check on him for three hours, which supposedly gave him time enough to hang himself. Simultaneous to that occurrence, two sleeping guards, that one, two, in a maximum security prison. The camera system failed to work. And he magically found some tools to hang himself with in a a maximum security prison. And additionally, his cellmate was removed from his cell, meaning that Epstein was all alone, which violated the jail's procedures. So conspiracy theories? I think not. Sounds like valid questions that actually mean like we're we're waiting on old girl to come out with her findings. That's, that's me. I'm waiting to see what she says. And it's not because I want it to be a suicide. I got no opinion one way or the other as to what I want it to be. I just want to know the truth. And why? Because if he was killed, that means there's even more. There are many more people, scary people, important people, rich people, you know, whatever, that are, were in danger of being exposed and they, they snuffed him out to shut him up right? This ain't about what I want. It's about the truth. All right. We'll be totally righteously American just a couple of minutes when we get back. We stay there.
0: Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad
2: Council. This is how we do every day. We be grinding. And if you want to come and text us... If you love them enough
0: to turn off your music and pretend like their music is your music... Ah, this is Mommy's jam! Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org.
1: Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council.
0: One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your
2: worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org
0: DiscoverTheForest.org, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. What if I could tell you that a full-blown wildfire was going to occur tomorrow, right where you live? Tell you exactly which neighborhoods it would engulf and how fast it would do it. The first thing you would do is talk with your loved ones and make a plan today. It's true. I can't tell you a wildfire will strike tomorrow, but shouldn't you make a plan anyway? Go to ready.gov slash communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council.
2: Welcome back to
0: Stacy on the Right.
1: Hey there. Okay. So... Yeah. The Jeffrey Epstein saga, it continues. Um, People close to him think that he was murdered. A lot of people think he was murdered. There are others who are probably um, feeling pretty relieved because they had something to do with the things that he was up to. and, And now that he's dead, he can't sing, you know, dead men sing no tales. I, I, I told you guys earlier in the week, I was really concerned that the FBI hadn't actually raided his compound before now, because if you think about it, if there was no one there, and we don't know that. So the story that I shared with you from the UK Daily Mail early in the week didn't actually say if anybody was present at the compound when it was raided. Now, the FBI could have very well had the compound secured, right? And, you know, uh, I don't know, doors welded shut, whatever. They could have done that when they arrested him. But do you remember when there was the mass shooting in Las Vegas and the the FBI had actually gone out and secured the shooter's residence? The, the girlfriend of the shooter, who I guess partially owned the home, was in Thailand or someplace like that. And so thrill seekers broke in and disturbed the crime scene before the FBI had a t- chance to circle back around and do anything with it. And so I know Jeffrey Epstein, of course, he had a compound. It was on a remote island. You had to, you know, you had to know where it was and get out there. But how many people knew where it was? I mean, a lot of people knew where it was. So it, it just makes me wonder how secure could it have been unless they left agents there. The article didn't say they did. So I, I have no idea if they did that. I don't know. I have no idea if they secured it. But these are the kind of questions that, hey, I'm sitting over here. Yeah, my dad's in law enforcement, but I'm not. Uh, so I... I don't even have a clear cut idea of exactly what, like every time the FBI arrests someone, do they secure the premises or is it on a case by case basis? I have no idea. But it seems to me just, you know, speaking out of the side of my neck with, you know, dash of logic added in that a raid that happens after the guy has been killed in prison or is dead, somehow he's, he's no longer with us, how, whatever the circumstances that it was like a penny short, A day late. What, what was that? What was the reason why that just happened after he died? A few days after he died. So hopefully we'll get answers on that as well. Um, I know there's a lot, again, there's a lot of, uh, you know, people finding, um, inconsistencies with what, what we've been told and what we know to be factual. So a few more inconsistencies before we move on. Um, let's first, like Epstein was the highest profile prisoner they had in the, the U.S. prison system. Okay. This is the most famous prisoner in prison in the United States at the time. Okay. So that just that in and of itself, would you would think they wouldn't have sleepy prison guards on duty at the maximum security prison where he was located, but they did. So what other inconsistencies surrounded Epstein's death? Well, he said he was considering cooperating and naming names in his international sex ring. He was found unconscious in his prison cell just three weeks before, which is why he was supposed to have been on suicide watch. Two days prior to his death, documents released for the first time implicated several Democrats in the. The sex ring that he was operating. But then two weeks you know, after he com- apparently attempted to kill himself, he's taken off a of suicide watch just two weeks later. He was in isolation, which is extraordinarily unusual for someone who is suicidal because isolation tends to make prisoners suicidal. So if you're already suicidal, why would they put you in isolation? We already mentioned the camera malfunction, which is ridiculous. And if you think about it, just for context, one of the most famous prisoners ever to be held in the United States was also before he was held here, held in Mexico. And even the third world country of Mexico had video of El Chapo's escape from their prison. So they even had video of the, you know, again, inconsistency. So later... In other stories other reporting we've heard that the cameras showed the guards did not make rounds. So were the cameras working or not? Or is it just the cameras inside a cell that weren't working? And how coincidental is that? Um the prison guard who was working the floor where he was staying was not even a certified guard. So you know in maximum security prisons they have different levels of prison uh you know staff and you're going to have your most experienced prisoners on your highest profile you're going to have your most experienced guards on your highest profile prisoners. Or are you? Right? Um, so not one, but both guards slept through their shift, didn't check on him for hours. And there were reports of screaming the morning that Epstein died. Now, again, there are other prisoners there. It could have been anybody, but isn't it just coincidentally interesting that it was someone who was, uh, You know, someone in the same block he's in screaming. Could have been anybody. Could have been Epstein. How will we know? Um, So, this maximum security prison where he was staying had not seen a successful suicide in 40 years. So, the first successful suicide in this maximum security prison just happens to be Jeffrey Epstein, prisoner, sex pedophile ring operator, uh, you know, heavily connected to Democrats and the Clintons, and he's the first successful suicide. Now, Epstein did not actually admit that he had tried to kill himself three weeks ago. He said that someone tried to kill him. The former roommate of Epstein was facing mass murder charges. So he was rooming with a murderer. Now, I know you're in a maximum security prison. It's highly unlikely you're going to have as your cellmate a librarian, but a mass murderer? Was his roommate in prison? <sighs> Epstein had dirt on Globus' elites. He was not given the paper sheets that we discussed earlier on the show yesterday. Um, he had actual regular sheets, which are the primary method to kill yourself in prison. He was in a room with a bunk bed, so it, you know, again, In prison, they have different configurations. If you're suicidal, you're given a room with a mattress on the floor and paper sheets so you can't kill yourself. You are not given a room with a bunk bed, which is a metal apparatus. It's extraordinarily heavy. It's often bolted to the floor and then regular sheets so you can hang yourself. Not to mention that Epstein was over six feet tall, so it would have been really hard for him to hang himself on, you know, the bunk bed would have had to have been super tall, which again... Does that even sound logical to you? He had told his lawyers on Friday, a day before his death, see you on Sunday. Um, and then, of course, the details surrounding the bed, he had to be on his knees to hang himself. Usually your natural uh, preservation instinct kicks in that it's hard to hang yourself on your knees. You, you need to have your feet free and clear in order for you to go through with trying to kill yourself. And then, of course, we talked about the broken bones in the neck. Um, So if you believe that there are fishy items, that the details are fishy surrounding this news, they've even got Marco Rubio siding with the liberal media that, you know, it's a conspiracy theory. So I just encourage you to adopt a different tone about it. If you're discussing this with people who might be skeptics of anything ever going wrong in a maximum security prison that could possibly be, you know, some of the people there are are Democrats, I would just say they're valid questions. Again, valid questions, not conspiracy theories. A conspiracy theory to me is, you know, it's something outlandish that resembles something you would see on television. And things that you see on television can their ba- television is based in reality in that people who write the stories for TV often take real life scenarios and they adapt them for television some of them are completely creative obviously um but to to say that just because it sounds what you're what you're positing sounds outlandish that it's a conspiracy theory that's a way for people who don't want the truth to come out to invalidate what other people are saying about a particular subject and i have definitely said oh, that's a conspiracy theory before. So please don't think that, you know, I don't ever think there's a conspiracy theory, but in this particular instance, the questions are warranted and they're just questions surrounding what has happened. Hmm. Okay. So I, again, what, what is, what is exactly happening? Um, what is exactly happening here? So now let's move over to this. It's, it's, Again, what where, where are we in this country? Cory Booker. So Cory Booker, and this is a bit of the gun control stuff that's going on. He says gun control will bring freedom. Now, remember, he's a Democrat. He was the mayor of Newark, New Jersey, and he didn't do much for the residents of Newark, New Jersey, in the way of bringing them jobs or prosperity or getting the government out of their way. Now he wants to be the president, and he thinks the way to get there is to make sure that Americans who are law abiding, who've never done anything wrong, who only seek to defend themselves as is their constitutional right, have to give up some of those rights in order for him to feel like he's doing something heavy, quote, fingers. So first, let's listen to him. Um, You know, he drives me a little bit nutso. Like I'm I'm not even trying to hear him. In this instance. Uh, Just a minute. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm pulling up. Cory Booker. Sitting up in an interview talking about grabbing your guns. Here he is.
0: And then the thing I see is people having these weapons, just shooting them indiscriminately. This is where you see in communities like mine and other cities, bystanders, people showing you bullet holes in their windows. And it creates an environment so crippled by fear and, and trauma that on 4th of July in communities like mine across this country, you have people who hear fireworks and parents will tell you their children die for cover, they power, they hide. We've created such a culture of fear that's now penetrating all types of communities where we say the best we can do to our children now when they go to school in September is we can't protect you so we're going to teach you how to duck for cover, shelter in place, and the more. That is a society that has surrendered basic freedoms, freedom from violence, freedom from gunfire, freedom to live without this kind of constant cortisol in the back of your brain being released that that undermines our quality of life we are losing our well-being as a nation because so many of these guns now are on our streets so easily get, gotten by people who intend to do it.
1: so listen to me cory booker will never take responsibility for the fact that the highest the most frequent instances of gun violence The highest gun crime areas are inner cities in America and they're run exclusively by Democrats. So he as a Democrat has overseen the kind of, you know, it's, it's gun crime. It's stuff that's happening. It's things that are going on where people are literally being gunned down on the regular basis and he doesn't do anything about it. Not only does he not do anything about it, he doesn't say anything about it. He doesn't, he doesn't even try to do anything. He could say anything. He could admit that Democrats have not done a good job of making sure that um Americans are safe. He could he could say anything. He he could he could even say I'm still a Democrat, but I want to try something different because I'm tired of my constituents living under this kind of, you know, gun gun crime. I'm I'm just tired of it. He could say that. Instead of doing that, His idea is to, um, his idea is to just kind of come, come around side the whole thing and make this kind of statement. I'm sorry, guys. If you're watching the live stream right now, you are probably see my face going all crazy. I just had somebody drive right into our driveway, um, and kind of take a look around and then drive away. So that's why I'm looking crazy. Um, so, (laughs) so I don't know who that was, but if Cory Booker really cared I'm just going to quote some statistics from his pal, Elijah Cummings, out of Maryland. Elijah Cummings is regularly reelected. Last time he was reelected to his 13th term with more than 76 percent of the vote. That was in 2018. So he doesn't even have to try to answer. He doesn't even have to, to, you know, no one's asking him. No one's saying Why do you keep getting reelected and everything in Maryland is still the same? Everything in Baltimore is still the same. Why aren't people's lives improving since you've been reelected over and over and over again? He doesn't even have to answer that question because no one's asking. And it's the same thing for Cory Booker. How can Cory Booker actually run for the presidency without ever being asked what he did for the people of Newark, New Jersey, or what Democrats have done writ large for inner city voters People who give 90 plus percent of their vote to the Democrats every single time. How can he possibly not be held responsible for that result? If gun crime is such a huge problem, because again, what do you think? Do you think maybe it's because Cory Booker is um, only talking about gun crimes that are committed by white people? Oh, I can, you know, uh, is it because Cory Booker actually thinks that it doesn't matter if you're gunned down in inner cities, but it totally matters if you're in the suburbs and you get gunned down? All of the lives of people who are lost to gun crime should matter, just like the people who are lost to, uh, you know, heart disease, AIDS, you know, premature death from SIDS for babies, abortion, whatever, Right whatever. So if, again, if the people that we're looking at for the presidency on the left aren't ever going to be held accountable for their lack of results in inner cities, then honestly, the talk about abolishing the the uh, electoral college, that's important. But this is an even bigger issue than that. Because it means votes don't mean anything. It means that when people are voting for other people, it doesn't matter what they're running on. It doesn't matter what they're saying. What matters is, is that person black because I'm black? Or is that person white because I'm white? Or is that person for or against gun control because I'm for or against it? It doesn't matter what they actually do when they get there. I refuse to allow that to be my reality, which is why um, there's some people here running locally um, that when they get ready and they want me to put a sign in my yard for them, they gets no sign, They gets no support. If you can't do what you promised and you won't answer my phone call, honey, you better think, you better know that I'm not voting for you again and I'm not going to throw you any support either. But that's just me. We'll be back. Stay there. ugly
0: Every ugly doll is unique.
2: I'm Moxie. Bobo.
0: Wait. Those close to me call me Slick Doll,
1: which is not his name.
0: And every child is too.
1: They can be pretty lovable.
0: That's why when you travel, you should make sure your child is in the right seat for their age and size. That sounds pretty great to me. Keep them safe by visiting nhtsa.gov/slash/the-right-seat. Isn't that right, gibberish cat? <laughs> Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Let's be honest, the National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin, so you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. It's 4 a.m. Monday And you're literally sucking baby snot through a tube because she's congested. Man, that's love. And if you love her that much, love her enough to make sure she's buckled in the right car seat. To make sure your child's in the right seat for their age and size, visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
2: You're
0: not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food. Because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit SaveTheFood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. This
2: is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her Mom.
0: Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org/caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Spacey on the Right.
1: Hey, everybody. Um Yes, yeah, so I've been wearing my hair up for so long. If you're watching the live stream, you're probably thinking, what's going on? It's all my own hair, guys, all my own hair. Um, It's growing out a little bit. And I'm really happy about it. Actually, it's one of the main reasons why I got sister locks. And so um, I know it's not like, quote unquote, mainstream hair, because a lot of people will say, well, those are like mini dreadlocks. They're not actually dreadlocks, they're interlocked. And that's what sister locks are. But I encourage you to embrace women who are doing what I've done, which is I'm wearing my hair in its natural state. Uh, It is manipulated, but it is my hair. And it's the first time in my adult life that I have been completely free um, of like chemicals other than I, you know, I cover the gray hairs that are creeping in. I cover those, but I don't have a relaxer and I don't have the, I don't have to go to uh, any place in particular, like I don't have to go to a hair shop or anybody. I'm not, I'm not tied to a stylist and it's nice to get your hair done to get shampooed, et cetera, but I don't have to do that. And I'm speaking not as someone who's like, you know, your hair is a part of your aura and all that stuff. I don't really get into that kind of stuff with the, with the sister locks, but it is just nice to have, to be able to wake up and put my hair in a ponytail and go, or wear my hair down and go, or curl it or, you know, set it on rollers and go. And so I'm speaking to anybody who's, you know, maybe you're sick of your relaxer or maybe you're sick of being tied to your stylist, which I I still love the women who were my stylists back when I used to get my hair done. But it is something amazing to, be, uh, to know that I, I just don't have to go there. I don't have to get my hair done. I don't have to spend a lot of money on hair products, just shampoo and conditioner and, you know, a couple of different sprays that I like to use that are, those are just optional. That is freedom. And then to be able to grow my hair out longer and not have breakage is again, freedom. So I encourage you, if you're, if you are permanently tanned and you're looking for something easier as an option, the initial cost can be kind of exorbitant. So I would shop around, find someone, you know, that has sister locks who will refer to you, you, you to their person. So you have word of mouth referral that you can trust. Um, but consider it. If the initial outlay seems ridiculous, just think over the five years, think it's five years that I've had these. If I were to add up the amount of money that I would spend on getting my hair relaxed, even though my hair was natural before this, because your hair has to be natural going in. But even when I look back at the money I was spending on my natural hair, and sometimes I would get my hair braided with extensions, and that's always expensive. I have saved so much money by just the initial outlay. I paid that. And then I paid, of course, to go regularly for the first Couple of years, I would have my hair what they call retightened, which is basically where they uh, re-integrated onto itself. So they weave it onto itself. There's no fake hair involved; it's all your own hair. But as your hair grows out, they just retighten it to itself. And man, I saved so much money. But it's it's bigger than that because you know we women, beauty is pain. We're willing to go there for it. We will take it. We're here for it. We're we're ready to we're ready to rumble. But the bigger issue. Is the freedom I have. I don't have to run from the rain anymore. I mean, yeah, I don't want my makeup to run, but if I'm out and about and I have on no makeup and it starts raining, I'm, I'm just still walking because my hair is not impacted. Um, working out, swimming and all kinds of other things that you just don't think about. The freedom is there. So I encourage you to look into it. If you're permanently tan and you, you, <laughs> you want to get your hair, uh, get hair freedom, this is it, baby. Um, but mine is finally growing out a little bit more. So I'm excited about that. And it's the summertime. So I've been wearing it in a ponytail because I just haven't had, I've just not been feeling creative at all. So, uh, so let's get back to what we have going on here. So now, now, um, there is also this audio from Epstein's death from this expert, and I meant to play it in the first segment, but here we are. So let's take a listen to what he has to say about the circumstances surrounding Epstein's death.
2: Well, first of all, starting with the point about whether it was a strangling or whether it was suicide, which is what's coming out right now. The hyoid bone in the neck being fractured and other fractures in the neck make it more likely. And again, this is a percentage call more likely that it was a homicide than a suicide, but it can be both. It can be either, rather. It can either be a suicide or a homicide still. That hasn't been confirmed. I am now more suspicious than ever that this could be a homicide, number one, because of the bones. That answer is going to come to us, Bill, because if someone is attacked, you see signs of the attack on the body. That hasn't been discussed yet. It hasn't been released yet. I'm waiting to see that. If someone holds you down and strangles you, you see evidence on the body, bruises, now my source undisclosed source is not going to go into that right now that question will be answered the other question that's come up that you just brought up is about the suicide watch situation which is shocking to me as a physician who has dealt with severely depressed and suicidal patients six days on a suicide watch prison officials reportedly removed the prison officials guided by who what self-respecting psychiatrist would say Okay, he's no longer suicidal. There was evidence on July 23rd that he may have done something to his neck or someone did. Right then, suddenly, six days later, he waves his hand, says he's fine. And he's put in an area where ultimately he's unobserved because, as you know, people fall asleep and they falsify records reportedly. This situation. And then there are sheets in the room that you can hang yourself with. And there's a
1: bunk bed. So but does that make any sense to you? I mean, just be with me here for a second. Makes no sense. Um, and he's raising some really good questions. So we'll keep questioning and hopefully we'll get some answers, right? Um, so now, listen, I want your feedback on this. Check out this new segment intro audio that we have and let me know what you think. It's courtesy of the amazing Noah Chalaya. And I think you're going to enjoy it.
0: It's Stacy on the right. And this is the Second Amendment Report.
1: All right. A few facts about people who carry guns. A 2018 survey paid for by the National Shooting Sports Foundation, of which I'm a member, titled Concealed Carry Market used data from 4,521 people who carry concealed to answer questions about what they carry, how they carry, why, and more. So check this out, y'all. 85% of men prefer to carry their firearm at the waist, inside and outside the waistband. 57% of women prefer to carry at the waist. 31% of women prefer to conceal in a carry bag. 19.8% of women said they purchased underlayer clothing, such as corsets, underwear, and bras that were specifically designed to hide a firearm. 98.1% of all respondents said they own at least one semi-automatic pistol. 61% of uh, people own revolvers, which made up only 13% of the total firearms owned by those who answered the survey. 48% of men surveyed said they carry all the time. 37.6% of women said they always carry. 70% of women obtained their concealed carry license in the past five years as compared to 54.4% of men. So if you're in the gun accessories market, accessories for women is something you should be looking into because... This is a new market that's opening up women who are carrying firearms. And then 80.5% indicated self-defense was a reason for obtaining a permit. 85.5% of women indicated that they felt safer knowing they could defend themselves. And 57.8% of women and 52.5% of men prefer the vaunted 9mm. Um, and I can tell you, if if you spend some time um, with your revolver, your, you know, listen... Your 45 caliber, you want to try that out. You want to try to shoot with with a revolver, and then you want to try different 9 millimeters. And you're going to find that 9 millimeters come in d- different sizes for different hands. Um, I'm really tall, and my hands are not tiny, and so I can use a small conceal carry, like a, a Ruger LC9, really fits my hand well. But I can also fire a 45, and even though it kicks like a mule, I can. I can hold it and actually hit the target. So what you have to do is you have to go in to a shooting range that you trust and you have to say, I'm going to go in and I'm going to try, like maybe today you're just going to try two different types of firearms. Maybe you're going to try the 40 and the 45, or maybe you're going to do a real comparison. You're going to do nine millimeters and forty uh, fives, And so you're going to try one of each and they let you rent them at the, the gun shop. So you don't have to own a gun at all to get your your first tries. But you're going to want to either bring in some of the federal ammunition. It's the cheapest kind. It's for practicing or buy a couple of boxes there. And then you want to put a good number of rounds through. So you want to spend maybe an hour, hour and a half. You're there. You're putting these rounds through the firearm, not for the benefit of the place where you're shooting, but for your own benefit, because how else will you know how it feels and how you'll be able to control the firearm? The next thing is you have to go more than once. So maybe you're going, maybe that first week you just go once and then the next week you go once. So you're just shooting to go once a week for an hour to try these out. And over time, you're going to get much more comfortable because your first time at the range, especially if you're a woman or if you're like me, cause I'm kind of jumpy, you go there and the sound of everybody else shooting, your adrenaline gets to pumping, your heart rate, heart rate grows up and you just, you start to feel like, whoa, um, I'm stressed out. So you have to be there for a few minutes so you can settle down. Once you've settled down and you're now putting the rounds through the firearm yourself and pulling your target back and taking it down when it's full and putting it back up and you're kind of marking it, this was the nine millimeter, this was the 45 millimeter. And hopefully you've gone with a friend, someone who's a little more experienced than you are so they can help get you through the process. Then you're going to start to kind of get into a rhythm where you you're loading it a little faster. You know, you have a routine of how you're, you know, putting it back on safe, taking it off safe, firing stances, et cetera. I'd say by your fourth visit, if you go once a week, you're going to have a really good idea of what you like to shoot. Then once you've had those four weeks under your belt, you're not done. You at that point, I I, I like to recommend that people get some training. You go through the conceal carry class course. Um. And maybe you want to go eight weeks or 10 weeks. I, I know I shot for quite a bit before I actually went for the CCW course, but that course was taught by a group of uh, current and retired, uh, mil- not military, they're current and retired law enforcement officers. And so I learned a lot from them. And then after that class, which I took with a girlfriend, her husband had bought her the class for her birthday. And so I went with her and we took it. It was an all day Sunday class. Then I had the actual class under my belt, but you still have to go to the sheriff's office and submit your application and give them your identification and have them run a background check on you. And while all of that was going on, I took the time to go back to the range a few more times. And then after I got my concealed carry permit, that same friend and I went back and took an advanced gun safety class for situations where like you're at the grocery store and some guy comes in waving a gun. What do you do? You're in the office and somebody waves a stapler at you. Do you shoot them uh, or do you... Or do you just sit there and try to talk them out of it because they're only holding a stapler and that does not require you to unholster your weapon <laughs> and other situations like that. So we did all of those. Um, and it was like a four and a half hour class at night that we took in all of these they're like real world situations, rooms that have been set up to look like a gas station uh, shop and, and so on and so forth. Um, and then even once you've done that, there's still room for more training. So we'll be doing the Second Amendment report. Often here on the show, it's a part of what we are righteously American about, gun safety, gun ownership, um, the Second Amendment, your innate rights, uh, your constitutionally protected rights, um, not for sport or hunting, but for owning guns because you can, because it's your right. Um, so we'll be doing that. Give me feedback on what you think of our intro segment. It's it's I think it's pretty good. I like it. Um, and so last piece here. Ilhan Omar and her buddy, Rashida Tlaib, have been banned from going to Israel and Donald Trump had a lot to do with it. So first off, <laughs> Donald Trump, that applause is for you. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you. Good on you. If you support the BDS movement, which is, you know, uh, boycott, divestiture and something such and other, you hate Israel. You ain't boycotting them because you love them, so don't act like you can boycott them and then run over there up in their country. If you're boycotting them, keep your little buns out of Israel. How about that? <laughs> that's so. That's that's what uh, Bibi Netanyahu said. So both Muslim congresswomen Omar and Tlaib have been banned from entering Israel due to their support of BDS. Dana Weis on Twitter reported Israel will bar Tlaib and Omar. Due to suspected provocations and promotion of BDS, at this time, the final decision has been drafted and passed for comments before a press release will announce it officially. According to the New York Post, Israel has apparently decided to bar them from entering the country on Friday after fierce debates on the contentious matter involving Bibi Netanyahu and various ministers. The reason cited, suspected provocations and promotion of BDS and Interior Minister Ari Derry made the decision to bar them from entering on Friday. They were planning on going to tour the Flashpoint site of the Temple Mount as well as the West Bank with another group sponsored by Palestinians. No wonder they got barred. Right see American back.